welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over the last 50 years or so. In each program, we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country. We get their unique perspective on these matters and how they have affected their life, their work and their business. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business, and an overlay of personal experience, both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. Today, we will be talking to Dr. John Carr. John is a recognized international expert in supply chain management. His career stretches back to the 1980s with management positions at companies such as Digital Equipment, EMC, Samsung, Irish Express Cargo, and Flex International. John has a doctorate in supply chain and master's degrees in advanced manufacturing and business administration, and currently heads the supply chain consultancy offer with clients in both the multinational and SME sectors. I'm delighted to have John join me on the line today. Welcome, John, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you, Pat. It's a pleasure, pleasure to join you. So um, tell us a little bit about how your career started. I understand it stretches back to the, to the 1980s. So how did your career start and um, how did it progress over the years to the point we are here now? Certainly. Um, so, yeah, I joined Digital Equipment in Galway in the mid-80s as a process engineer. I was involved in the introduction of new products um, to the Galway site. Uh, really exciting time, I have to say. Great company. You know, the company were really innovative, you know, in terms of bringing, you know, mini computer networking, speech recognition, so many technologies that we take for granted now um, to, to market. So great company to start my career with in manufacturing. Um, my job also was great in the sense that I, I was able to meet with suppliers uh, across Europe. Uh, so my job was, was, was ensuring that they delivered the highest quality levels of components to our our site and and products to our site. Um, The EU at the time had this policy called country content. So a lot of countries in Europe were looking for companies either to establish operations in country or source from suppliers in country. So digital was very involved in, 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 in partnering with companies right across Europe. And I was fortunate to be part of that. Uh, Subsequent to to digital, I I moved on to uh, work for companies such as EMC uh, Samsung, Irish Express Cargo, and um, and Flextronics in, in a broad range of roles, from engineering to quality procurement, manufacturing, and global supply chain. And um, I spent best part of twenty years working for Flextronics um, up until a year ago when I, I set up my own consulting company. Again, focused on supply chain, uh, working with both multinationals and startups. And I also do some lecturing in the University of Limerick. So it's been a, a very interesting career. Um, and um, I've ended up in supply chain through, you know, a, a very interesting journey through um, working with these companies. Yeah, very, very active. And you, you can see that relationship really between um, engineering, manufacturing and, and supply chain. So how have you found in that period since the 19, 1980s that manufacturing has changed in terms of, uh, where it's done, how it's done, and by whom it's done. Yes, uh, back in the 80s, 90s, a lot of companies in the West were sourcing components from countries such as China, in particular electronics um, components from, from China. Um, now, other countries obviously play a key role 
uh, Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, Vietnam, they've all um, become key uh, sources of, of uh, components, I would say, to the um, electronic sector. Um, and, and with that, companies have also established operations in, in Asia, um, brought in um, management from, um, from, from the West, uh, but local management are very strong in Asia. And, uh, you know, these companies are, are, are very mature now and, um, and signs on it, you know, you can see the growth in China over the last 30 years. It's been uh, very impressive. You know, I, I see about eight, 6% average growth rate per annum over the last 30 years in China. So these, um, these companies and, and the countries that um, are involved in supplying uh, products are, 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 are benefiting, I would say. Um, now, one of the risks, of course, associated with, with manufacturing offshore is, um, is the management of um, offshore operations. Uh, and uh, a lot of companies follow the Japanese in terms of how they delegated management of supply chain to tier one suppliers. So the, the tier one suppliers started to become very, very strong. Um, now there's also risk associated with that because um, companies need to you know, manage um, innovation as well as cost. And clearly there's a, an important, huge importance in managing risk. So I would just summarize by saying companies who are outsourcing um, their manufacturing to offshore entities and need to um, control um, the actual costs, of course, and retain control over the cost of goods sold. Uh, but they also need to take into consideration clearly the environmental and social impacts of, of offshore um, manufacturing and sourcing, and, and also need to maintain very strong relationships with suppliers, in particular suppliers who um, provide them with the early warning signals around risks that are um, happening in the, in the, in the, in the world of, of, of supply chain. So, Again, it's it's an onerous task. Uh, supply chains have become more complex, and um, they require a lot of skill management. And uh, what you've described there, I guess, and that change that's taken place in that period is like the the manifestation of this increased globalization that has uh, been ongoing and has been in the in the news. And you hear uh, about the positive effects of it and the negative effects of it, um, and the type of company that you worked for with, with Flex, I guess, was an embodiment of that kind of outsource manufacturing and outsource logistics and supply chain services. What factors do you think drove that? How did those companies come about and how did they um, insert themselves into this kind of globalized economy as key players? Yeah, so so the primary driver, of course, of outsourcing is, is cost. Um, I mean, companies are continuously looking at how they can actually... Um, um, reduce their costs, uh, be it labor, facilities, plant and equipment, and, and make those costs more variable. So it's, it's a key driver. Um, but there's another benefit, and that is the flexibility that comes with uh, outsourcing manufacturing to, um, to mature you know, outsource providers, um, allows companies to you know, introduce products more speedily to market. And, um, and also the contract uh, outsource companies today are involved in in every aspect of supply chain, including product design, including uh, distribution after sales support. So it's a continuum of, of services now that are provided. So it's it's not just simply manufacturing um, and it hasn't been for about 20 years. And now um, mature companies, uh, you mentioned Flex there. Um, so mature companies such as Flex offer the full suite of services from design through to 
uh, managing um, the circular you know, supply chain. Mm-hmm. I would say that um, one of the big challenges, of course, is managing inventory. And um, we, we, we all, we're all familiar with just-in-time systems, and they work very well. You know, they provide a flow of, of product in, um, in, in most situations. However, if you just take the current situation, you know, where there's increasing uh, demand and a sharp increase in demand, I would say, for things like personal protective equipment and ventilators, um, th- those, those sharp spikes in demand d- don't sit very well with just-in-time systems. Um, so managing inventory has is, is become critical. Um, and, and I think a lot of companies, they recognize that they can achieve labor cost savings um, by moving offshore. And uh, those savings depend, of course, on the labor content within the product. Um, but, but equally, companies have come to realize that um, there's, there's additional inventory holding costs. And that can be very significant. Uh, I've done many analysis over my time over the years and you know i've seen many many cases where um where local and regional manufacturing can result in in you know 60 to 70 percent lower inventory carrying costs for companies so you've got to outweigh um and you've got to weigh the um cost savings with with the with the, with the additional costs involved uh, such as managing inventory so i i think that's very important and i think a lot of people recognize that um the other point I'd like to make, by the way, is that I think that the, the recent and uh, the current COVID uh, pandemic has brought home to people the need for risk management. Um, you know, when, when China shut down there in their early early part of the year, uh, a lot of com- companies and a lot of industries, um, for instance, the automotive sector, you can see how heavily impacted they have been with the, with the, with the shutdown in China. And that kind of drives home the fact that we're, we're all inter- interconnected um, way more now than in the past. And um, we, need to, we need to be very careful and very cautious of the risks associated. And do you think now with the COVID-19 pandemic that there will be significant changes in the supply chain? You know, this, this model of very long uh, supply lines, intercontinental supply lines, optimization of inventory, and sometimes the, the actual network being global. You think we're heading to a different design of some of our supply chains for the future because of COVID? Uh, yes, certainly. Yeah, um, I mean, with over like fifty percent of the world GDP now in lockdown, um, you know, we're all seeing the collapse in commercial activity, um, and it's more severe, I would say, than than previous recessions. Um, you know, and this cross-border investment is is it's it's predicted that it will drop by probably forty percent as a result. So um, no question, um, things will change. Um, companies will be looking at uh, local um, sourcing, regional sourcing, um, I also, and, and second sourcing in, in many cases. Um, I also think we have to look very clearly at the products that we're, we're, we're outsourcing and, and look at their criticality. So for instance, um, we're heavily dependent on India for pharmaceutical ingredients, uh, as an example. So. I, I think that, and with the, with the continued sh- shutdown there until early early May, you know, we, we have to look at all the components, all the commodities that we, we source. We have to look at their criticality, and we have to uh, we have to take the appropriate actions. So, in some cases, I think we'll continue to source. No, no question, we'll continue to source um, in Asia, 
for, for, for obvious reasons, because Asia is a huge economy um, and we want to be trading with, with, with Asia and continue that post, post-COVID. But then there's more critical, I would say, products like vaccines and medicine and, 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 um, and med- medical devices that we, we need to look very carefully at. Um, the other point I'd like to make is that um, when you look back at, at, at um, 2002, at uh, the time of SARS, um, China only accounted for 4% of global output uh, back then. But since then, um, China's output now um, is four times greater. So China now accounts for 16% of global output. So that's why, even though we, we noticed um, the impact at the time, um, back in 2002, with, with the SARS pandemic, um, it's becoming way more pronounced now um, with, with, the current, with the current pandemic. You know, even before uh, COVID, we had pushback against economic globalization um, with things that had, particularly since 2016, so we had, we had Brexit, we had the election of Donald Trump with a more kind of um, protectionist outlook uh, on trade. We had rising nationalism, we had trade wars and so on. So do you think that globalization is in reverse or is it just changing form? Where do you think we're headed with it? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't believe that it's, it's, um, it's, it's in reverse. Um, I think it's irreversible, to be honest with you. Um, and we are very interconnected, for sure. I mean, if you just look at the banking crisis in 2008, you know, it, it, you can see how you know, interconnected our whole banking system has become. You know, with the internet, obviously, we're all susceptible to the same cyber attacks, you know, regardless yeah. of where in the world you are. So we're very interconnected. That's not going to change. Um, those systems are in place, and um, that's not going to change. Um, e- but equally, we, we had to take into account the um, the, the, the int- Asia is, is a huge economic block. You know, I mean, forty four percent of all global trade is intra Asia, which is very significant. So um, we will continue to trade very strongly um, post this um, pandemic, um, and. Um, yeah, so I, I don't see I don't see a reversal of, of globalization. Um, companies are aware of their uh, environmental considerations, so they're taking appropriate action. I would say, you know, and countries as well are similarly taking action. Um, and you know, prior to the COVID pandemic, you know, all, a lot of discussion was around climate change, and I, I, that will continue. Um, we, we all know we have responsibilities in that area, so. I don't see a reversal. No, I, I, I don't. I just think we need strong leadership, um, and we, we need to um, we need to work very, very closely and, and collaborate very closely. You know, you remember when you and I were back uh, in in school many, many years ago in the nineteen seventies or back then, and you'd look at your uh, your geography book and there was a. Uh, the graph in it of the world population that kind of just was an exponential graph, and you know the population was projected to go off into 12 billion or something ridiculous like that. And a lot of people still have that in mind, but in actual fact, our challenge at the moment now is probably going to be population stagnation, particularly in Europe and Japan and even even in China. And you and I know from our day-to-day shortages that we experience in Ireland in terms of uh, warehouse operatives or, or drivers, uh, HGV drivers, forklift truck drivers, factory workers, and so on. What do you think all of this means uh, for the world, the future of, of recruitment, work, skills, talent, and automation and so on? Yeah, it's a very good question. And, um, 
you know, I, I think it needs to be needs to be front and center um, as as uh, as we as we move forward. So, I mean, there's no question um, in terms of um, population and demographics. There's huge change. Um, you know, for the first time in history, the world's population is expected to stop growing now by the end of this this century, and um, that that's that's that has huge repercussions. Um, also, you know, the the, the the current median age in the world is is thirty one, and by um, two thousand one hundred, which is like only only eighty years from now, the, the median age will be forty two. So you're going to see a, a very steady increase in the in the median age of, of workforce, um, and also um, from a global perspective, you mentioned global perspective. You know, a lot of the um, population growth will come from areas like Africa, for instance. Um, I mean, the population in Africa is projected to increase from 1.3 billion currently to 4.3 billion. And, and indeed, 50% of the growth in population over the next 80 years will, will come from six countries. Five of those countries happen to be in Africa. So it's a, it's a huge, huge demographic shift. So the, the implications of this are, are, very, are, very, are very stark. I would say the first is uh, a great need for lifelong learning. Uh, people will be working, you know, longer, um, and and uh, you know, there's 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 a, there's a willingness, and, and and people want to work longer. Um, you know, the, the workforce is is, is highly educated. Um, you know, more people can work from home. Um, so I think lifelong learning is is going to be more critical. Uh, I also think um, the adoption of automation um, is is also key. And, uh, and particularly in small and medium-sized enterprises, um, they are the backbone of the economy. And, you know, whilst uh, we, we, we talk about automation and we're all involved in this, I think it's so important that we bring the, the small and medium companies along and, and they will, I think, greatly benefit from, from adopting automation. We, we should continue in, to focus on language skills. It's, it's a globalized world now. And um, you know we're good in Ireland at adapting to um, to different cultures um, and providing support. So I, I think continuing to focus on language skills is, is so important. And I also think as well, um, you know, we 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 have we have an ambition, I think, to be recognised um, and continue to be recognised um, in in the globe. And I think this, we can take on various initiatives, like, for instance, post-COVID. I think um, there's new industries will 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 come out of you know um, this current situation. So I think we we'll play a big role in that. And in this uh, current situation we're in now, what kind of um, uh, projects are you involved in uh, currently, and what are your your plans and ambitions uh, for the future in your own work and business? Yeah. So for the past uh, four weeks now, I've been involved in a, in a task force. Um, focus on sourcing critical PPE and equipment and, and other supplies. Um, and we've been bringing up local sources of supply in Ireland and uh, working closely now with the IGA and Enterprise Ireland and uh, other support agencies. So um, it's been it's really, really interesting um, four weeks for me. It brings me back to my, my, my early part of my career, you know, in the 80s um, and 90s when, you know, there was a lot of focus on local sourcing and um, and what I'm finding is, you know, the, the amount of talent um, in Ireland is, is 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 astounding. I mean, there's incredible innovation, and um, and that that's that comes to the fore during times of crisis. So I I'm I'm very very hopeful 
um, of the future when I, when I look at the, the talented companies we have here. So I hope to uh, continue um, to, to connect the dots, as it were, and, and make introductions for, for companies um, to work closely together. What do you think uh, Ireland's role should be in the future? So we've spoken about how the world is changing radically uh, and quite rapidly now. And we have been very successful with FDI and so on over the years. What do you think is next for us as a country? I think, you know, obviously, we, we play a key role in, in Europe. And um, Europe, um, you know, has to be strong. Um, I think coming out of, um, out of the current situation that we're in, um, we have to look to um, countries um, to collaborate very, very closely. Um, reminds me of, of a book that I, I read um, some time ago, um, which, which, which talked about um, the, the sort of situation we're in now, um, and, um, and 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 what and how can we work our way out of this? So, uh, if you look at, for instance, the First World War, you know, after uh, the First World War, there was a lot of um, protectionism put in place. Uh, there was a rise in nationalism, and and there was an economic depression as a result of that. Um, but then, if you look at uh, post Second World War, um, there was a lot of cooperation. You know, we had the Marshall Plan, we had um, the UN and the General Agreement on Tax, on Tariffs and Trade, and um, you know, there was a lot of growth and prosperity um, came out of out of, of that period. Um, so I think now um, Ireland has a role to play clearly in Europe, but I also think on the international stage as well. Um, we, we have a role to play in, in helping to build bridges and, and, and um, build that collaboration globally. Yeah, I think we're probably um, a pragmatic, non-ideological nation that can make connections between uh, rival groups, maybe, and rival visions of how things should be done. I agree, I agree. And we tend to think long-term in Ireland. You know, we, we, we do. Um, it's easy to... You know, be focused on the. You have to focus on the here and now. We have to focus on, you know, what needs to be done now. Um, but we also think long term, and that's one of our strengths. I think in Ireland, you know, we we um, we have a good reputation for 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 long term. Yeah, and then uh, maybe just change tack a little as we get into the final couple of minutes um, of the interview. What kind of things do you like to do in your your spare time? You know, hobbies and pastimes and so on. I suppose when you look at the lovely weather we're having now, um, and it draws you outdoors. I like I like the outdoors. Um, I like I like uh, to go for a cycle, you know, walk uh, a little bit of golf when I get the time. It was um, yeah, I'm, I'm an outdoors person, and uh, I, I enjoy the open air. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's it's quite quite pleasant right now because there's so few cars on the road, and uh, <laughs> when you do go out, it's actually lovely out. Yeah, you can hear the birds, and uh, you know, it's great. I, yeah. I, I, have you read anything lately that was kind of inspiring that you'd like to share with listeners? Yeah, no, I, I, I have. I, I, I tend to keep up with um, reading. But it's funny, I, I often dip back into books that I read in the past um, and some I, 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 I treasure. And I've just finished uh, reading it for the second time now, a book by Richard Branson. Um, it's called The Branson Way. And uh, it's it's not a new book by any means, but it's it's a great book. Um and uh, I highly recommend it. I mean, what, what I like about Richard, by the way, is, you know, he, um, he's, uh, he's, he's visionary. Um, also, you know, he's big into brand and building brand equity within 
his enterprises. And, uh, you know, I think brand is such an important aspect of, of companies now and, and countries as well. You know, we, we, we have to respect brands and, um, but brands themselves, um, you know, you know, they, 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 they have to respect, um, ethos and, um, of, of the company. And, uh, you know, we, we just talked now for a few minutes about globalization. We've talked about, um, environmental change and, um, I think strong companies um, um, and strong brands, you know, reflect everything that's good. And people who are interested in finding out more about your activities and your current business, you know, in terms of website or phone numbers, how can they contact you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so happy to, um, you know, Talk to people on LinkedIn. I, I I do have a website, but it's it's only in its um its early um stages now. So over the coming months, I'm planning to put more material up there on the website, and uh, also plan on running a, a blog as well, um talking about um supply chain and um supply chain management. Excellent. Thank you so much, John. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Uh, keep well, keep safe, and look after yourself and look after your family. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ben. Very welcome. Thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to find out more about globalization, international business, and how we can help you to formulate and implement new business strategies for the new supply chains of the future, please check out my blog and website on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which can be purchased on Amazon and Google Books. This is Patrick Daly of Alba Consulting. Goodbye and keep well until next time.